0: So this morning, I've entitled the message, The Value of the Harvest. You see, this is an important message for the church. And I really believe that's why we're seeing so many people missing this morning. The enemy doesn't want us to hear this message. The enemy doesn't want us to hear about the value of the people out in this world. Because if we recognize the value of the people who are out there walking lost in this world, it would change how we do everything in our lives. Our priorities would completely change if we recognized how valuable the people that are out there in the harvest are. Luke ten two says, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, right now, the harvest is plentiful. And sometimes it doesn't seem like that. We look out, and it seems like that nobody wants to hear about God. Nobody wants anything to do with God. But he says the harvest is plentiful. Because there are people out there that are hurting, they're they're lost, they're, they're walking around with no hope, and they need Jesus more than anything else in this world. And some of them don't even know it me and Joseph have begun reading a book called Becoming a Contagious Christian. And in it, the author discusses how in the business world today, things are changing with how the, the business people are doing business with their customers. For a long time... It was all about the businesses, what, what was good for them, and the customer didn't matter. We've gone through a long phase of where it was, it was this idea that the customers needed the businesses so they could do whatever they want and get away with it. But there's become a, a paradigm shift as, as in business today, they're beginning to realize that if they want to be successful, they need to put their customers first. They need to lift them up and recognize that the only reason that they're in business is because of their customers. They begin to recognize that there's value in their customers. They're not just a number, but they're people who have value to grow their business. They begin to realize that the only reason for their existence is their customers and not the other way around. And they've realized that they have to make their customers a priority if they want to be successful. And like this author, I believe that as a church... We're going to have to do the same thing. We're going to have to recognize that the church is not here to serve the church, to serve the people in the church. But we're here to serve the people that are out there. We are commanded to go out and make disciples. The church is here to reach the lost. We have to make reaching people our priority corporately as well as individually. It's all well and good for us to say that, yeah, the pastor and the church, they're going to go out there and do these things, but it's not just a corporate responsibility, but it's an individual responsibility as well. And I think the only way that we're going to change that in, this, in, in our churches today is as if, as if we begin to realize the value of the people that are walking around out there in this world. We need to understand the real value of those who we're trying to reach. We need to begin to see people as Jesus saw people. But the truth is that it seems like evangelizing and making a loss a priority, is not always easy. I know it's hard. I know I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it be difficult for churches to reach out to people as they begin to become inward focused and the church is all about making programs and serving the people of the church when really it's not about the church serving the people of the church. It's completely the opposite way around. The people in the church should be serving the church to reach the lost. There was a man one time standing at a urinal and a $5 bill fell out of his pocket and it fell right into the urinal. And as you can imagine, he didn't want to reach his hand in there to get that $5 bill out. And another man sitting right next to him, and he goes, so what are you going to do now? So the man pulls out his wallet, he pulls out a $50 bill, and he throws it in the urinal too. And the guy says, what did you do that for? And he goes, well, I wasn't going to stick my hand in there for a $5 bill. It's a matter of perception. It's a matter of value. You see, a $5 bill didn't have a value enough to overcome the obstacle, the hurdle that was in his way. Such a small value didn't make him want to reach his hand into what we all know is to be a disgusting thing. But if the value of what was in there was increased, then what more are people willing to do? And I think that's the same thing that would happen for us. You see, if we look at people and we don't see them as valuable, then it's very difficult for us to want to step up and do something about it. If we don't see them as valuable, why are we going to inconvenience ourselves and do things on Saturdays when we don't want to do them? Why are we going to make ourselves feel uncomfortable speaking to the, 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 the grocery clerk? If we don't see them as valuable, then we'll never take that next step. Matter of fact, if we look at anything in our life that we do, if we don't find some value in it, particularly difficult things, if we don't find value in it, we're just not going to do it. You know, if we didn't find value in cleaning our dishes, because we know that if we didn't, it was going to make a mess and stink up the house, if there was no value in washing dishes, I bet you nobody would do it. Because it's difficult. It's not fun. Who, who, who is like, man, I can't wait to the next time I get to wash dishes? I mean, other than my children, because they're always like that. They're just, they ask, sometimes they ask me to make dishes dirty just so they can do them. Yeah, no, nobody's like that, right? But if there's value in it, we'll do stuff. And I think the same is true with the loss of this world. If we recognize it, understood how valuable they really were, then we would step out and we would deal with stuff that was uncomfortable. We would do the things that were hard. But the first step to reaching out to the lost, the broken, the hurting, the downtrodden, or even the unsavory individuals of our society, the first step is recognizing that despite of their circumstances and who they are and what they've done, that God still loves them. And if we would see them the same way God saw them, then we would be willing to do anything to make sure that they were brought home. In Luke 15, 1-2, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. These are the primary scriptures we're going to look at today is is Luke chapter 15. And this is how the story begins. Jesus is getting close to sinners and tax collectors. It says they're drawing near to him. And what do you know? What do you, what do you think happens? Wouldn't you think that, that when we see that kind of stuff, that the Pharisees would be excited that, that God was reaching out to somebody else, and these people that never had the opportunity were finally going to have an opportunity to meet God. But instead, what happens is, the Pharisees and the scribes grumble, and they say, this man receives and eats with them. They're like, oh my goodness, Becky, can you believe who Jesus is sitting with? <laughs> oh, I did. They're looking at him and they're wondering, why is he, why are they eating with this this guy? I mean, doesn't Jesus know that he's so much better than them, that they're not worthy of his time or his trouble? This is how it starts. And over the next... Few scriptures in Luke chapter 15, he tells parable after parable after parable, trying to explain to people the value of these people that he's eating with. Jesus was interacting with, with who was considered the worst of the worst in those days sinners and tax collectors. I always wonder if the, the people that work for the IRS ever get offended when they're reading the Bible. Man, they hated tax collectors back then. I mean, they're always like, it's never like, they're on the same page always, sinners and tax collectors. Cracks me up. But Jesus hears these guys grumbling. He's eating with the worst of the worst. He hears these guys grumbling and he begins to tell stories. He begins to tell parables that we could understand. He wanted to encourage these sinners and tax collectors that you know what, you do have value. Forget what these guys are saying. Who cares what they're saying? God loves you and you matter to him. And it's a big deal for them to to be received by Jesus. This is a big deal. God loves you. Next, he wants the Pharisees and the scribes to get it. He just wants them to get it through their thick skulls that these people have value. No matter how little you think of them, God loves them. They may not follow all the Jewish laws. They may not even know the laws, but God still loves them. He cares about them more than anything. Because Jesus had a a very different view of those who were considered the unsavory types. Have, Have you noticed that when you read through the scriptures, Jesus is looking at people completely different than anybody else ever has. Because he sees through the inside of them that they were created by God, still made in the image of God, that they're loved by God. He didn't try to shy away from them. He didn't see them and quickly look away trying not to meet their gaze. He showed them love. You know, I have to admit that even even now sometimes I fall into that category as I drive up to the corner of a street and there's somebody on the side of the road asking for money and, and I actually have to make myself look at them and smile and nod. Because all I want to do is is, is to not make eye contact. Maybe if, if, if I don't see them, I don't look into their eyes, I don't have to feel responsible for them or, or feel obligated. Or, yeah, we just want to look away. We do, the, we do the same thing that these Pharisees and scribes were doing when we see the, the unsavory types of our society. But the truth is, Jesus showed them love. Now, He never one time did He ever approve of their actions. He never approved of the bad things they were doing. Not once did he ever do that. Matter of fact, many times in the Bible you see Jesus saying, go and sin no more. But there was a difference between loving them and a- being, approving of what they've done. The truth is we need to, to start doing the same thing. You know, the word Christian means little Christ. But how can we take that name if we're not going to imitate The one whom we're named after. In Matthew nine, nine through thirteen it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at at table, does that look like it's written right? And as Jesus reclined at a table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Sound familiar? (laughs) But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." You know, I find it interesting that the man that Jesus called to get up and follow me was a tax collector. He was the worst of the worst. Now, it doesn't specifically say that Matthew was, uh, was one of those tax collectors that was doing it all wrong. But there was at least enough of them that were doing it. You see, the, the tax collectors back then, the problem was, as they worked for the Roman government, they were taxing the, the Jewish people And not only that, Matthew was was a Jew. He was taxing his own people for the Gentiles. And then on top of that, usually they took it a little bit off the top. You know, you're the the Romans, this much money, but I'm going to charge you more. It was extortion. And they took their money because the more money they took, the better money they earned because they got to pocket it. You see, that's why they hated the tax collectors so bad because They were never acting righteously. They were always doing wrong things. And it doesn't say specifically that Matthew was that kind of tax collector. But I would imagine it was the case. He was a tax collector. That's what those guys did. And Jesus said, get up and follow me. I'm going to make you a disciple. Man, that had to irk the Pharisees and the scribes. Why would you pick him? You have this group of people over here that study the scriptures. They, they know all these things. They're according to the law. They're righteous, at least from the outside looking in, they were righteous. Why wouldn't you pick one of these people? It really had to get under their skin. But as you look through the Bible, you find that God is always doing that kind of thing. Joseph was a prisoner and he was a slave. David and Moses were both murderers. Even in today, as I look at what God is doing, even through Praise Chapel, Pastor Billy Hall was in prison for murder. And God saw fit to release him. And now he's, he's a pastor, and he's, he's spearheading a movement in Ethiopia, leading people to the lost, doing great things for the kingdom of God. Pastor Kelly Lorkey, he's a pastor in Kansas right now. And I, he's, he wrote a book called Punker to Pastor. He used to be a punk rocker. And if you read his book, he was not a good guy at times in his life. But God changed him and turned him around. Truth be told, and I know this is going to shock some of you, but I wasn't always a pastor. There's parts of my life that I'm not terribly proud of or thrilled of. And I'll bet the same can be said about each and every person in this room. We all have storied past, but God was still able to change us. See, that's the amazing thing about the gospel is he doesn't leave you how you were, but he fundamentally transforms who you are. You were a brand new creature in him. That's why your value has nothing to do with what you've done because your value is what Christ was willing to pay for you and that was everything, his very life. And now Jesus reclines with us. You know, I wonder what the words that would be used to describe us before we got saved were. I bet you we'd all be happy to be referred to as just a sinner and a tax collector. (laughs) So then after Jesus grabs Matthew, he goes to share a meal with some more sinners and tax collectors. And it's like, this is just adding insult to injury as far as these Pharisees are considered. I mean, the religious people, they're like, what is this guy doing? And they question him about him. They're like, why is he eating with these people? Doesn't he know who they are? But his answer is a beacon of hope for those who are hurting. Is a beacon of hope to those who are sitting with him. He said, you know what? The reason I'm here is for them. You know, you you people, you figure you're already righteous. You figure you've got it all figured out. What do you need me for? But these people... They're sick. They need a physician. And that's what I'm here. I'm here to heal them. To make them well again. And he says that, I came to call the, not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. His sole purpose was to make righteous all of those who could not do it for themselves. Hey, a newsflash, that's all of us. What this means is that even the worst of us are valuable to Jesus. Even the worst of us are valuable to God. Not just the good people or the well-to-do people or the people with a high social status. Not that those people are any less valuable either. But there is no one that is so bad or so much a sinner that Jesus turn the other way. There's not one story in the Bible where you'll find Jesus say, I'd love to help you, but yeah, you got some work to do. Come back to me in a few months once you've straightened these things out. Not once do you ever see that in the Bible. So let's imitate Jesus when we speak to people. Let's never turn our backs on anyone. We turn anybody away based on what they look like or, or what they've done or how they're different to us. In Luke 13:6 through 9 I'm sorry, Luke 13, yeah, 13, six nine, it says, And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it, is, then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So what about those people that we minister to, we speak to, and it seems like nothing is happening? They're rejecting us. You know, those are probably some of the ones that are the hardest. You're like, how many, what else can I do? People that want nothing to do with Jesus. It's true that we might meet people like this. Anybody ever met a person that just wanted nothing to do with Jesus? might even have friends that are like that. We might have family members that are like that. But I want to say don't give up. Just like this vine dresser, don't give up. You see, in this story, the vine dresser argues for more time. He's not ready to throw in the towel. And even though for the last three years he's been investing in this tree, this is his job, he's the gardener, and he's been making sure the tree has everything it needs, water, good soil, sun, everything. He's been investing in it, and nothing is happening. And I think most of us are quite like the, uh, the owner, ready to give up, except for it doesn't, not after three years, after three minutes. We're ready to give up. But we need to take a page from this vine dress. We need to do things like he's doing. Even even if it seems like there's no hope, we mustn't give up for these people. What if we'd been given up on? Because there was a time in my life when I didn't want to hear about this stuff. What if I would have been given up on? I wouldn't be here today. None of us would be here today. And I, I realize that the Bible says that we're not to cast our pearls before swine. I realize that if people want nothing to do with it, you're just wasting your time by continuing to preach the gospel if they're just ignoring you and putting you down. I'm not talking about acting without wisdom. But just because someone rejects you, and and really they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus, it doesn't mean that they're a lost cause. It doesn't mean that they no longer have value, nor that God doesn't want them to come to repentance and be saved. Let's take a page from the vine dresser's book and let's press on. So how do, how do we do that? You see, this whole time when he was taking care of this tree, he was, he was making sure that he was getting what he needed, the, the water, the sun, the, you know, the, the main stuff he had it taken care of. But he said, you know what, I'm going to go a little bit, st- a little bit farther. And he says, I'm going to dig around it and I'm going to throw some manure in there. And what I'm not saying is to throw poop at people because that won't accomplish anything. This isn't literal. We're talking, we're talking uh, figuratively like the, the, wine dress, the vine dresser. Pray for them. Pray for them. That's the greatest thing you can do for someone that doesn't want to hear it. Let's not just give up on them completely. Let's, if you have a family member that you've tried to minister the gospel to, but they won't have anything to do with you, they won't even let you talk to them, pray for them. And you know what? Show them the love of Christ in you. Let them see Jesus in you. Be an imitator of Jesus. But never give up. In Luke nineteen, five through ten, it says, And when Jesus came to the place he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Those religious people again. He has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it. Fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I also want you to recognize that you should never underestimate the impact that you could have on somebody's life. If you'll just show them how valuable they really are, show them that they, they mean something to you and they mean something to God. See, here we see a man named Zacchaeus, and his, his name means righteous. And he's also a tax collector. And like I said earlier, that the Jewish people did not like these tax collectors. They were, they were Jewish men who were working for the Roman Empire to take money from Jewish men and women. And not only that, they were taking extra off the top so they could make a good living. They were not like, these were not good people. They were not thought of in high standing. I can tell you when they heard his name, they went, you know, that's kind of a misnomer. They say, say you called righteous one, but we know a little bit better. He wasn't living up to his name. But the truth is the value of a person is never defined by their actions. Their value is not what they do, but who they are. And who they are are people that Jesus gave his life for. In Revelations 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus speaking. He says, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The scripture was literally fulfilled in the life of Zacchaeus. as He stood at the bottom of that tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. He stood at the door and knocked and said, I'm coming in to dine with you. And the great thing is Zacchaeus said yes. He came down joyfully and, and took him into the house. And because of his encounter with Jesus... Old Zach had a major change in his life. He was a changed man. You see, that's what will happen to the people of this community if we'll actually go out there and speak to them and and introduce them to Jesus. They may not seem like they're, they're valuable as far as the world's concerned now, but once God gets a hold of them, they're a completely different person. You see, Zacchaeus' life was changed so much that he offered to pay the highest penalty that a thief would incur under Mosaic law. Under the Mosaic law, if a thief voluntarily confessed his crime, he had to restore what he took and add one fifth to it, and then also bring a trespass offering to the Lord. If he stole something he could not restore, he had to repay fourfold what he took. And if he was caught with the goods, he had to repay double. These are the the Mosaic law that dealt with thieves. And you know what, Zacchaeus, he didn't quibble over anything. He said, you know what, anything that I've taken, I will pay fourfold. He's like, I'm going to take the highest penalty because it's worth it to me. Because of what God's accomplished in my life. And the reason being is because his heart was truly changed. God made a difference in his life. And there are so many people walking this, This even just in the city of Moran, our focus, people that need Jesus. And even if they look unvaluable from the outside, looking in, they have value, and God can do a great work in their life. So as we've gone through to look at how Jesus looks at people, I think it's clear that when Jesus saw people, he didn't see them the way the world sees them. Their value was not defined by who they they were or what they did, but their value was defined as what he was willing to pay for them. How Jesus saw them, he saw value in each and every one of them. So as we continue on in Luke chapter 15, first we see the religious people humbling. So Jesus says, all right, well, come on, gather around. And he gets a little bit closer. So now the, the scribes and the Pharisees can hear all this too. Jesus is teaching not just for the sinners and tax collectors he's with, but he wants the scribes and the Pharisees to hear what's going on. So in Luke fifteen three through 7, it says, So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So like I said, this is a story we started with. He's grum, these people are grumbling, and Jesus says, no, 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 listen, listen to this, let me tell you a story. And I love when Jesus talks that he's always completely practical. See, that's the beauty of the gospel, is that it's so easy for anyone to understand. And this is a story right now that we can all understand, even if we've never had sheep. We can still get what Jesus is trying to say. And these people did have sheep. They knew what Jesus was trying to say. They understood. They, they related to this story. And he tells this completely uncomplicated story to show the value of each and every person in the kingdom of heaven. And first we see that though there are many others, there's 99 other sheep. Though there are many others, it doesn't diminish the value of the one that is lost. Just because we have more, doesn't mean, just because even when our church grows to be hundreds of people, just because we have hundreds of people, we can't say, you know what, we're good. Because every person still out there still has that same value. You know, God never looks out across the world and says, man, it's really a bummer that one isn't saved, but, oh well, i got plenty of others. God never looks at the world like that. We shouldn't either. And then he says, when one sinner repents that there is rejoicing in heaven. Did you know that when you got saved there was rejoicing in heaven? They threw a party up there because you meant that much to God. God loves man so much that every single one of them is important. Every single one of them has value. And every single one of them is worth setting aside everything else to go hunting for them. That amazes me, is that every single lost person walking around in the city of Morena is worth setting everything that we're doing aside to make sure that they get invited into the kingdom of heaven. Let's resolve to look at men the same way that God does. In Luke 15, 8-10, he begins with another story. This is one of the few times that Jesus tells parables back to back to back. He's like, listen, guys, you, you really need to get this. Just, just in case you didn't get it in the last story, let me tell you another story that explains what I'm trying to say. And in Luke 15:8 through 10 he says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost." Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the last one, you could argue with me a little bit. You say, you know what? He's talking about sheep. I can't really relate to sheep. Well, here's one you can relate to. It's it's money, cold, hard cash. I think we can all understand that when we lose something, And Jesus says to these people, he says, you know what? If you didn't get the sheep reference, I'm going to give you another super easy story. One that I know you all can relate to because money is important. Let me tell you about this lady that lost a coin. And when she lost it, she didn't go, eh, oh well. Forget about it. i got nine others. I'm good to go. But she pulls out a lamp. She searches everywhere for it. You know, and I can relate to this one specifically recently. Because my mom... And my stepmother sent me a, a gift, and we had put it all in the same envelope in a card, and I had set it on my tree. We had Christmas here and all that stuff, and uh, so it's it's a card, an envelope with $150 in it. Set it up on the the tree. Somewhere during Christmas Day, I looked over and I wanted to see what it was in. I opened it up. So, oh, there's some there's some money. This is awesome. Put it back on the tree. I haven't seen it since. $150. So when I recognized that I lost it, I was like, eh, no big guy got more money. You better believe that's not the truth. I came down here, I'm digging through the tree, moving stuff out of the way, lifting the carpet up. I got all the couches strewn across. I'm looking everywhere for this envelope. And I finally come to the realization that it probably somehow fell on the wrapping paper and all that stuff and got thrown away, which really stinks. But you know what? We took the tree down yesterday. And I was like... Even though I'm, at this point I've looked everywhere. It's not in the tree. I know it's not in the tree. There was still that little bit of me that was like, maybe, just maybe when we take the tree down, I'm going to find it. We did not. But, <laughs> but I can relate to this story. You know what? I didn't, I didn't go, you know what? I got, I got $150 elsewhere. I'm not worried about that because it has value. See, money is something that we can, we can see the value of money. We understand how that works. We can relate to that. And we all do the same thing when we lose money. I bet there's not a person in this room or listening to this podcast that goes, you know what, I I have so much money it doesn't even matter. We all look for it. Because it has value. And when we look for this stuff, it's not because we don't have other money. And when we we go out there and, and try to minister to the lost, and when God says that he which is for everyone to come to repentance. it's not because he doesn't realize that he has others. It's because he recognizes the value in each and every individual. And then it says, when we find it, we rejoice. Now, I didn't have the opportunity to rejoice recently for this particular lost money, but has anybody ever pulled out an old winter jacket, you put it away for the summer, and you reach in the pocket, and you find a $20 bill, and isn't that an awesome day? You ever found money that you thought you lost just shows up all of a sudden, Haley? Really? Oh, when you do it one day, you will. It's awesome. You're like, man, I got 20 bucks. I didn't have it before. This is amazing. And you're rejoicing and you're, re- and you're happy. Just like that, when they find the sinner, there's rejoicing in heaven. And when we find it, we don't go, I got other 20s. This one's not really that big of a deal. We rejoice because we found extra money. Because there's value in that money, mm-hmm. and the same thing happens in heaven. Matter of fact, it says there's joy before the angels. The angels get down when people get saved; mm-hmm. they're excited to see it. One sinner who repents causes rejoicing in heaven. That amazes me. Then we continue on after this story in Luke fifteen seventeen through twenty four. Says, but when he came to himself, he said, "How many of my father's hired servants?" And this is a little bit farther into the story. This is, as you know, the story of the prodigal son, and basically, the way this one starts out is the prodigal son his father is a very rich man, and the father has two sons, and the one son says, "You know what, Dad, I want all my stuff, and I want my inheritance now, and i'm i'm out I'm eighteen and i'm poof, I'm out of here. Give it to me, I'm gone." So of course, the father does it. he gives him his half of the estate, his inheritance. And, you know, the son, he's got it all figured out. He's going to go out there and live his life, and and things don't turn out well for him. He pretty much acts like a selfish jerk, takes his money and runs, and surprise, surprise, he loses everything. Are you all teenagers who think you got it all figured out and you can head out there and do your thing? Remember this story, because that's what this guy thought. He lost everything. But he doesn't end there. He, he recognizes his mistakes. And he decides, you know what, I need to come home. I need to, to, to tuck my tail between my legs and just be humble between my father and say, you know what, can, can I come home? Can I, can I even just be one of your servants? You don't have to accept me as a son, just as a servant. And this is, this is when that happens. And In Luke 15, 17-24, he says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. See, this is an interesting thing here. This Jewish man runs towards his son to embrace him. Both of those things is not a thing that a dignified Jewish man would do. Men didn't run back then. That was considered undignified. It was considered beneath them. But this man, he saw his son, and he ran towards him, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to celebrate. You see, the, the son recognized his mistakes. And he's a little bit more humble now which is always a good thing to see in, a, in, a, in, a, in your children. A little bit more humble now, and he realizes that he didn't deserve anything from his father. He took what was his, he blew it. He says, you know what, I don't deserve anything. I'm going to go back to my... And maybe, maybe he'll just let me be a servant so I at least have enough to eat. But the reaction from his father is definitely not what he expected. You see, the son believed that he had no value. He believed that He had blown everything, that His actions have caused Him to be made worthless. You know, there's a lot of people in this world right now that believe that their actions have caused them to be made worthless. And they don't recognize, even the people themselves don't recognize that they have value. But the Father valued Him more than ever. You see, no matter what the Son did, it didn't change how the father saw his son. He was still his son. He still loved him. He still cared about him. And he rejoiced that he came home. You see, the one from the outside looking in was the least worthy of the father's love. I think, you know, if we, if we stand back and read this story, we're like, man, he got what he deserved. What an idiot can't believe he did that he got what he deserved from the outside looking in it looked like that this man wasn't deserving of anything but he's the one that received his kingdom he was received back into the open arms of his father he was shown honor and love and as you know that god is the father in this story the, this parable the father in this parable is representative of god and that means that God values his people so much that he would even God would cast off restraint and run towards his children with open arms, asking them back in because they are so valuable to him. Then in Luke 15, 25-32, it says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You know the story of the, the prodigal's prodigal son could have ended in the last scriptures we read. This part I find interesting because the first three parts of the parables, the sheep, the, the coin, and the first part of the prodigal son was all about the value of the lost who were coming home. Jesus wanted these scribes to recognize that they had value. That just because they saw them as poor or sinners or tax collectors didn't mean that God didn't value them. And if that was the only point that Jesus needed to get across, he could have stopped there. But then he continues on with this parable with the the other son. You see, in this story, the rest of the story, the other son, he's referring to the religious people, the scribes, the Pharisees. might even be us if we're not careful. Because, see, it's so easy for these religious people to get upset. See, the reason why they were having such trouble with this is because there was a little bit of jealousy going on. Why are are these lost people getting the attention of God? I mean, don't you know what we've been doing? Don't you know how good we are, how righteous we are? Why are these people that are terrible, never following along, not doing the right things, why are they getting attention from God? And I think it's easy for us to even think that way as well. As we see new believers come in and we see God move in their life, but we've become jaded to where we stand in Christ. We've stopped pressing in for those miracles, for those promises, because we've just kind of become complacent where we are. But then we see new believers come in and God's moving and, and instead of rejoicing with them, we get a little jealous, a little upset. It's so easy For them and for us to think that God loves these people more than he loves us. But Jesus wanted to make clear that no, that's not the case either. He says that all that they are being offered is already theirs. We have to make sure that even in this, as we recognize the value of others, that we don't diminish the value that we have to God as well. Our value is not diminished by others receiving from Jesus. The value that is inherent in the lost does not diminish the value of those who have already been found. The truth is that we already have all of those things, that the value that we see in the loss the value that i want to make teach today that we need to have so clear in our mind doesn't diminish our value either the truth is that we are all valuable to god and the truth is that once the lost are brought in that they they recognize their value and they receive what god has for them their their mindset needs to change to outward looking as well to give to others just as they've received and we'll end on the scripture in Matthew six nineteen through 20, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. The truth is, the harvest, those fields that are ripe unto harvest, that's real treasure. That has real value. And every soul saved that you've touched, that it comes into the kingdom of heaven, that's credited to your account. That's you storing up treasure in heaven. When we go out there and we minister to the lost, and when we bring them in and they get saved, that's real treasure. That's the only thing that's going to get past this this earth. When the earth is remade and the heavens are remade and this is all done with, Nothing we have here, nothing we have accomplished here is going to mean anything in heaven except for the lives that we've touched, for the souls that we've brought into the kingdom of heaven. Our finances, our our comfort here on this earth is fleeting and temporary. But we'll realize true treasure if we recognize the value of the harvest. And even if it means giving up a little bit of comfort here on earth, Even if it means that we're going to have to put in more hours and and do things that we don't want to do. Even if it means that we have to look people in the eyes and interact with people that we never ever thought we would. Even if we have to reach in the urinal to pull out the $50 bill. Mm -hmm. We will recognize real treasure. And secure real treasure. So let's keep our eyes on what's truly valuable, and that's people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet.